Hello, I'm Emma Louise Coffey and you're welcome to the Dairy Edge, the Chagas Dairy Podcast. We're bringing you the latest information, insights and opinion to improve dairy farm performance. On this week's episode, Chagas specialist Catherine Keena explains why the gains in biodiversity are more than just about the environment. I suppose, Emma Louise, we include all the flora, the fauna and the habitat in which they exist. So the flora is our trees and our flowering plants and our ferns and our mosses and down to the liverworts and the algae. Our fauna is our birds and mammals, um, would be the common ones, but obviously the invertebrates and the, are the, the lesser, the lower life forms are there and they're critical for the whole ecosystem to work. And then the habitats where they live is you could say everywhere but there are more in some habitats than others and the good habitats on farmland would be the um, on intensive farmland would be the uh, the linear habitats hedgerows the watercourses the field margins um, and then you'd have some other lovely ones like woodlands and wild bird cover and a peatland on some farms but uh, and some on on some less intensive farms the actual grassland itself could be very species rich and like putting it from the perspective of dairy farms you know what are the benefits of having biodiversity within your own farm gate the benefits well i suppose the first one is the legislation covers certain biodiversity so we must be careful that we don't break the law um, here we're talking about the Wildlife Act um, and the, the fact that all birds are protected, their nests and their eggs, and similarly with fish. Um, so there are legislation there about the environmental impact assessment would be relevant to, to dairy farmers where, you know, if you're going to remove hedgerows or um, improve extensive old, you know, rough grazing. So legislation is one, the law, but that's, that's not the main one. I suppose the second one then would be financial, um, where farmers are paid under schemes. Now, some farmers are in the agri-environment schemes. A couple would be the, in the, the new EIPs. Uh, but even the basic, the, B, the BPS, the, the main farming um, payments, they do cover biodiversity as well. And this is where, you know, the certain things, again, coming back to the hedgerows, are regarded as landscape features. So they are protected um, under cross-compliance, which refers to your uh, basic farm payment, that you can't remove a hedge unless you replace it somewhere else under cross-compliance. And I suppose then the, the one maybe that's getting more focused than ever now is the, the marketing of our green image. Um, in Irish agriculture, we like to talk about and are very, very proud of our the quality food and the, the, the farming systems that we have here, we're very proud of our green image. Um, I've never heard as much talked about nature in the last few weeks when we were all kind of slowed down a little bit and maybe kept closer to home instead of in our cars. So it's, um, it, it's there, it's on farms. We sometimes maybe don't notice it, but it is nice. And it certainly is a reason why people buy our produce. And it's what leading on from that um, is... It's just a nice, it's nice to have biodiversity. Uh, farms are places where people generally live and your workplace, we all like to have a nice workplace. So it's, it's nice to have biodiversity too. 
So I suppose, Catherine, you like you, you've covered a multitude there from legislation to, um, I suppose, the financial benefits and, you know, the the schemes as well as a marketing perspective. And I guess, you know, your um, your final point there in terms of, you know, the it's, it's a nice thing to have. And there's a, a I suppose there's a social aspect to that. Looking to legislation um, with the recent Farm to Fork report, is there any emphasis on biodiversity um, on dairy farms within that report? Huge. So I suppose that's the, the policy side. Um the, the farm stock and the the EU biodiversity strategy, and both of those will influence the next um, the next rural development program and the next cap. So yes, there's a huge influence at a high level. It's it's really strongly in there more than it ever has been before. Now, what that means to the farmer, we don't know today, or we won't know for a while. Uh, Emily Louise, but you know, all we can know, we know we don't know maybe the rate at which it's going to come or how how much, but definitely the direction of travel is that biodiversity is high on the agenda now and is not going to go away. And looking then to um, our own farms in particular, Catherine, if we walked out and had a look around today after listening to, I suppose, the information that you, you're presenting to us, you've mentioned some of the key features of biodiversity on farms, including hedgerows, watercourses, field margins, um, some forestry. Um, looking to hedgerows, and I suppose, you know, as our, as our start point, can you define a hedgerow for for us? So sometimes we look out into the farmyard and from the farmyard and we see that, you know, there's hedging on maybe one side of the paddock. And then in other farms we have, you know, a paddock will be surrounded by hedge. You know, what exactly would you describe as a hedgerow? It's a good question. And in fact, there's a, a, a recent study now has, has measured. I would first talk about field boundaries, permanent field boundaries. Because um, a hedgerow can can range from you know a white thorn plants a meter apart or less than a meter apart, forming a very dense um, hedge as we'd know it, uh, down to to a field boundary, which is sparsely populated by by shrubs. Um, but if it is a our field bank, we say. But that bank, if there's hedge, hedging vegetation on it, there'll be briars, there will be, there'll be and a multitude of plants um, and some of the lower plants that I talked about, the ferns and stuff. So it's probably more useful to talk about permanent field boundaries. In some places then there could be stone walls, which are, which are also important for biodiversity. But in general, in, in dairy farming, we'd be talking about hedgerows. Now, when you talk about, for me, when I'm talking about um, a hedge surrounded by permanent boundaries, I, I that includes everything other than the wire fence. So the paddocks, you know, are not um, their you know paddock system is within a field in my the way we would normally consider it. And looking then to where we have hedgerows, Catherine, you know, a lot of the time you might see in the countryside that you know, within within a farm or, you know, along roadways, you know, farmers are uh, trimming hedges, um, you know, in, in particularly in the autumn time. You know, what is your recommendation there in terms of looking at the permanent field boundaries or, you know, the hedgerows? Um, like, how would you maintain those? You know, have you a particular height recommendation, um, you know, in terms of how um, severely or not so severely, you would you would um, maintain those um, boundaries. Yeah, and it can vary um, depending on on what you're what you're starting with. 
I suppose the where you have a hedgerow, if you think of a hedgerow is in generally in this country is a line of white thorn quicks that would have been planted approximately 200 years ago, not necessarily our town and boundaries would be older than that, but in general. And because they have been kept maintained, they have remained as a hedgerow. But, uh, the, but the white thorn quick that you plant wants to grow up to be a tree uh, with, a, with a full canopy and a single bowl. So that if, if it's left unmanaged, um, the hedging plants will grow up into a, into a, a, a tree a line of white thorn trees which themselves are beautiful they have the height they have the flowers but they they don't have the dense space then so a hedgerow is actually an artificial habitat it's a managed habitat and um, that doesn't make it any the less it's just that the, uh, it's very important to understand so when we go to manage it if we're wanting to maintain the dense space um, it does the, the the growing point needs to be cut because of a tree and then it will thicken out lower so for those type of hedgerows that we're maintaining um, with a dense space and cutting the growing point, um, it, we need to leave it at least one and a half metres or birds will not nest in it. And we also need to leave occasional stems to grow up in, to be that small, that individual white thorn tree, which will have lots and lots of flowers and fruit on it. So we can, our, our routinely managed hedgerows can be very good for biodiversity um, if they're managed for birds and bees. Then the second type of hedgerow is where it's already escaped, as we call it, um, escaped into the tree, and then we don't want to top those ones, so we're side trimming those hedgerows. So I think it's important to just think, why are we cutting? Um, the main reason is to stop outgrowths into the field, and that's perfectly fine. Side trimming is always perfectly acceptable. Um, I think it's when we go too hard on the the, the cutting, the, the height, that's where it's it's not good for, we will have no birds in it if it's less than 1.5 metres above the ground level, which could be the top of the bank. You know, you could have a very small fringe of hedging on top of a bank, which no bird will nest in. And if there are no uh, flowering stems allowed uh, mature, we will have no flowers for the bees. So I, I suppose what I'm taking from you, Catherine, is that, you know, it, it's totally doable that farmers would trim um, the, these hedgerows and boundaries, but you're, you're just not cutting them to the butt, basically. That's exactly it. And I think, you see, people and, and contractors, I work with contractors and farmers, half the farmers in a survey that I did um, say the contractor knows best and the contractor is doing what he thinks the farmer wants and the farmer thinks the contractor knows best and we're, they're all thinking they're doing what the neighbours think is best. So that we need a huge sea change here in um, accepting that people might like neat and tidy, but if you have a very short back and side hedgerow, there are no birds or bees in it. Um, and it's easy to change that, but we need the general public, we need everybody to understand um, because we come from not so long ago when, you know, the attitude would be if the hedges aren't down at that level, oh, it mustn't be a good farmer. You know, so we we really need a change in everybody's attitude or understanding, I think, of what do we want from our hedgerows. And then looking, uh, moving forward, Catherine, looking to water courses. I mean, when you refer to biodiversity and water courses comes in under that heading, are you referring to just ensuring that they're fenced off and there's no animals gaining access to them? 
Yes, and I think the first point is that a watercourse can be anything. Um, again, farmers would say to me, um, they have a watercourse, but there's nothing in it. And what they mean by that is there's no fish in it. But there's a whole, whole under, under, you know, a, a level of, of biodiversity there in anything that has water. Water adds another huge layer of species, um, both plants and insects and invertebrates and everything. So, yes, so the, the, whether you think it's important or not, number one, it is. There are, there's more than you think in it. And number two, it leads to somewhere else. So really important to the biodiversity. I think watercourses get a lot of attention because of the water and the need for water, for clean water for drinking and the cost of, of um, you know, cleaning it. But whereas it's equally important for from a biodiversity point of view, so I think we we must keep talking about watercourses from the biodiversity also. And then, as you said, the three things that are really important is ideally best practice is not to drink from the watercourses where possible, and to have fence the watercourse banks so that the the, the banks of the watercourse can have natural vegetation on them and ideally have a, a margin alongside a one and a half metre margin running alongside every watercourse. And then looking at field margins, and I suppose it nicely leads on from when you talk about watercourses, but what exactly do you mean when you say field margin? This is the most difficult one, Emma-Louise, um, because I suppose it's it's the edge of the field, um, but it's, there's such potential in this area and we're not talking about um, letting the hedge grow out because then we're talking about the hedging, the scrubby, the woodland habitat. But I, what is really useful if we could leave a grassy margin alongside both the hedgerow and the watercourse and the stone wall and any boundary um, of at least a metre and a half, ideally a bit more, and that that would be left as um, natural species. It would almost, you would hope that you would have species there that would be in the, like in the extensive grassland. It's the area of the field that the, the silage contractor doesn't cut, that the cattle don't probably get in and eat, but it, but it can be so negatively affected if fertilizer, if slurry, or if sprays or if it's ploughed up and reseeded. People will often, you know, plough to the butt of the ditch, then they won't even use that area. But because it's been disturbed, then you tend to get the, the nettles and the trissels, which are only there because of um, nutrients and being disturbed. A good example, I think, of is if you drive along um, smaller roads or most of our roadsides, the margin that's there um, is what we would love to have in our field margins. Um, that metre and a half of left of, you know, full of the all, all these variety of plants that cause no harm, um, but are so easily removed. If fertiliser gets in, you know, they will be removed. I think, Catherine, we've had a great introduction to what actually biodiversity means and myself included, but I'd say a lot of people listening today, you know, wouldn't have known a lot of that before um, getting the chance to listen to you. Um I take I think taking a step forward um, from your experience of looking at biodiversity on dairy farms, I suppose you're particularly based in the southeast. But do you think, um, I suppose, a good level of biodiversity across all you've discussed um, so far, is it actually compatible with, you know, dairy farming? Um, you know, dairy farming is typically more intense than maybe dry stock farms um, in Ireland. 
you know, is it compatible with the type of system we run in Ireland? Absolutely. The most intensive, you know, farmer in derogation can have lovely hedgerows, um, can have the field margins and the, the water courses managed to, you know, to best practice. And alongside, as I said, the most intensive grassland production can be these networks for nature running through the farming platform. Um, really, really important, far more important than an acre left aside, perhaps on its own. It's the network for nature. Everything moves along those corridors. You know, birds, bats, bees, everything tends to follow them. So they're like the green veins um, alongside. I love to see it. And we have examples of, of farmers, intensive farmers, with extremely high, you know, levels of biodiversity because they manage um, both side by side. And to take some, to get some advice from you, Catherine, in terms of, um, you know, identifying the biodiversity within our farm gate and also to build on that, what are your recommendations? Um, I suppose we have a few principles that, number one, you retain existing um, habitats. So the the field boundaries that, you know, you spoke about that maybe aren't full of, of, of hedgerows or, uh, you know, they still have species that have been there for thousands of years. So, you know, um, retain is the first one. Retain the, those margins before they're, they're plowed up or destroyed. Retain the hedgerows, any bit corners, retain them. Second one is to maintain them, which is what I've gone through the principles there for the watercourses, the hedgerows and the uh, field margins. Um, and the next one then is to enhance existing ones. So, uh, you know, if, if there are hedgerows that you want to rejuvenate um, by laying or coppicing, you know, then, then you put your effort into those old hedgerows that can be renewed before we come to the last step should be the creation of new habitats. Um, you know, but while I'd love to do that, sometimes we skip to that step before we talk about maintaining our existing um, habitat. So I think they're the principles we would talk about. And as I said, on the Chagas Biodiversity Management Practice Index kind of encompasses those um, with eight best management practices. The first one maybe we haven't touched on is being the, the average field size. We talked about what a field is. But the average field size um, is an indicator. There's no point in us talking about best management practice of hedgerows if you do not have any internal hedgerows. So, you know, the, the average field size gives us an idea at, at, on the back of an envelope whether you have, you know, an average field size of one hectare or, you know, 30 hectares. Um, and then, then you move on to managing them right. Uh, as I said, the, the hedgerows, the height, one and a half metres height, containing a flowering thorn, um, the watercourses, fencing, fencing the riverbank, not drinking out of them and ideally having a margin and the uh, margins then having, uh, not spraying them, not ploughing them and, you know, um, so, and before we move on then, as I said, to planting, we could talk another day about all the lovely things we could do, but even before you give me any land, we could do all that. I think, Catherine, um, I really educated myself today having this chat with you. Um, and I think um, it's a real eye opener for what we can do to look around our own farms 
and identify exactly what kind of biodiversity we have on the farm. And as you say, it's not um, that you're telling people that they need to go out and start um, planting hedgerows. You know, in reality, there's a lot of, of a lot we can do in terms of re- retention and maintenance of, of what we have. And I think from a marketing perspective, we need to be, I suppose, very clear in terms of what we offer um, in the in the form of biodiversity within our farm gate and also you know it it may be uh, part of legislation that is going to be essential in the future thank you Catherine thank you Anna Louise that's it for this week's episode of The Dairy Edge and my thanks to Catherine Keena for joining me on this week's show don't forget to rate review and subscribe to the podcast you can listen on Apple and Google Podcasts as well as Spotify and for more information go to the Chagas website at chagas.ie I'm Emma Louise Coffey and join me next time for your Dairy Edge.